Okay. I'd like to start by saying that I am just really, really thankful that, that I live in a time where I have access to all kinds of resources. I actually got my first commentary uh, this Christmas, so uh, thank you to my in-laws, Adrian and Cindy Collins. It's the uh, John for Everyone by N.T. Wright, and I, was, uh, and I just wanted to point out a couple of other resources that I use. Bible Project, you've heard me say that before. They do uh, podcasts, they do videos, they have all kinds of uh, biblical resources. And another one right in the middle there, Exploring My Strange Bible, that's uh, by Dr. Tim Mackey, and that's uh, one of the co-founders of the Bible Project. He does, that's a bunch of his sermons and lectures, and I'm actually borrowing a lot uh, from his sermon on John. The way that he was able to uh, explain the scriptures and a lot of stuff was just really, really cool, and I wanted to... I'm excited to share that with you guys today. So that's just some of the resources uh, that are available and some of the ones that I use. I wanted to let you guys know that they're out there and they're awesome. All right, so we have a lot of ground to cover today, and I may not get to it all, but uh, Lord willing, I can communicate uh, the clear and main point that I believe that God's spoken to me. Uh, So we're going to get started, and like I said, it's going to be in John chapter 3. John's the fourth uh, book in the New Testament, and actually, I believe most people believe it's the last uh, gospel that was written, which is just an interesting trivia. Uh, it's going to be on page uh, 853 on those Bibles if you happen to grab one from the ushers. So John chapter 3, starting verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God was with him. We're going to pause here for just a second. I want to give you guys uh, some background information, kind of the setup. So right before this story, uh, at the end of chapter 2, John tells us that Jesus went to the temple to drive out uh, the people selling stuff and the money collectors. You guys probably know this story. It's in all the Gospels. Um, and the religious leaders come to demand, like, why is he doing that? Like, you're disrupting everything. Like, what's, what's the sign? They ask for a sign to prove his authority. And then Jesus says, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it in three days. And that confuses everybody. And John kind of whispers to us, like, uh, by the way, he's talking about his death and resurrection. So we had this sort of, like, really big and public, dramatic uh, confrontation that Jesus had with the leaders the religious leaders, uh, kind of uh, addressing the corruption that had happened in the temple. They were selling to people, but they were selling overpriced things. They were taking advantage. And so this big public display just happened. All right, so that just happened. Now, the next story we have in John that we're going to talk about today is not quite so dramatic. It's this quiet conversation that Jesus has with one man, and it's in private, uh, Maybe the disciples were there. We don't know. It, the scripture doesn't say specifically. But it's, it's, a, it's a secret meeting because John tells us it happened at night. And this is very likely because Nicodemus is a Pharisee and he doesn't want to be seen with this guy who just did this huge, uh, this huge scene, right? So what we learn, again, that this man is a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. His name is Nicodemus. So to put that in perspective, he's a Bible scholar. He's a teacher, And he probably has the entire scripture memorized, uh, what we would call the Old Testament, like all of it, which is really crazy, but that's that's what they do. He prays all the time. He says the Shema every day, which is a biblical uh, prayer that the Jews would say. You know, he's the ruler of the Jews. He's one of the elites. He's a man of privilege. Likely, 
uh, he is very rich. It doesn't say here, but actually at the end of John, it talks about Nicodemus providing the expensive spices for, for Jesus' burial. So maybe uh, Nicodemus becomes a follower of Jesus at some point, but not sure that's happening right here. So let's look at this uh, conversation he has. Um, is he coming to Jesus because he wants to follow him and he's not sure, he wants to like maybe talk to him on the down low, let's go at night let's, where there's not a lot of people around? I mean, that could be what this is. That's what I always took it as growing up. But another way to look at this, and one that's, I think, more likely, this secret meeting is a play for power. See, we could read between the lines here when Nicodemus is uh, the opening line that he says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. You know, we know, like, notice the we, as in, like, the people I represent. We, we know that you're a teacher from God. You could say, like, look, Jesus, you know, it got really crazy yesterday with the whole temple thing, and we know you're a teacher just like us. You know, we, we, we can help each other out, you know, if you can just maybe calm down a little bit. I could be wrong, and that's not my uh, own thoughts. That's some of the thoughts that some of the scholars that I've been, that I've been looking at and listening to. But I think, I think it could make, make sense here. All right, so notice how Jesus doesn't really engage with this with this question or this greeting, he's like, hey, Rabbi, you're a teacher, I'm a teacher, and Jesus goes, kind of ignores that and goes right to the heart of the issue. So Jesus responds and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So born again, what does that mean? Uh, you guys are probably familiar with that phrase. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, uh, born again was, uh, is very common. It's kind of started to get uh, replaced with evangelical. So it used to be born-again Christian. That was what it was like when I was growing up. And now people say, like, evangelical Christian. But the way the world sees this phrase, born again, is probably different to the way we see it. And at least in our modern culture, if you kind of do some research, you can find about two different stereotypes that the world sees. One is where someone is kind of on this downward spiral, right? They're, maybe they're a famous uh, celebrity of some kind, and there's too much partying, rock and roll, all that, all that stuff, and then they kind of hit rock bottom, and then they find God, right? Or they find religion, is what a lot of the newspapers might say. And they get really into Jesus, and then people are kind of weirded out by them. And there's another one that's, that's almost the same. It's someone that has that find God moment, and then they kind of move on past that to become really outspoken in politics, or local or otherwise. So either way, it's usually someone, like I say, who, who hits rock bottom and they, and they need to turn to God, or they need to, they need to turn to religion in order to pull themselves back up. So that's, that's what our culture takes, the idea of born again. It means someone who needs like an emotional crutch, or someone who, and someone who adopts like a narrow black and white moral code. And that's where we get these, uh, these ideas of like Christians always being judgmental. And they get super religious. That's another thing that, that the world will see. And there's, there's a thing about politics that gets tied into that as well. So that's what it means for the modern Western culture that we live in. That's what they think of. But when we look at the, what's the original meaning? Like when was it first used? We just read it. And if you look at the first time that Jesus calls anybody to be born again, look at who he's saying it to. It's somebody who breaks all that kind of stereotype that we just talked about. 
So whatever being, whatever born again means, it doesn't appear to mean a call to be more religious. And it does not appear to be a call to adopt a really narrow moral code. Because Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's about as religious and moral as you could get. So your Bible, if you have a paper Bible, or maybe even in your Bible app, you might have a note uh, on the phrase born again. And so the Greek word that Jesus uses is the word anothen. Anothen. And the most basic literal meaning of that word is from above. This word has also come to have a nuanced meaning of again. So its base meaning is from above, but it can also mean again. And we have words and, and phrases like this in, in our culture, in our own language. Uh, the example that uh, Dr. Tim Mackey used, which, which I think is great, is, called, is the phrase nailed it. Has everybody heard this phrase nailed it? So there's the literal meaning that you could use, which I'm not sure if it's used very much for literal meanings, but like, oh, how did they, how did they hang up that picture? Oh, they nailed it. So you could say it like that. Uh, but as most of you are aware, there's a nuanced uh, meaning for that word that's come to mean like you, you've done something perfectly, an act, or you've written it out, and you're like, I nailed that. I nailed it. And if you happen to have a Netflix account, you might know the ironic meaning of the word nailed it, where someone tries to do it perfectly, and it's a baking show. It's, it's called Nailed It. It's, it's fun, just if you ever want to watch that. So Jesus, using the word on he's surely like... He's brilliant, obviously, but he's surely doing a brilliant wordplay here. Using the word anothen, and he's probably intending both meanings. So he says to Nicodemus, right out of the gate, mind you, like at the beginning of their conversation, he's telling Nicodemus that everything you've done in life is a false start. And you need to start over. And not only do you need to start over, but whatever form that new life is going to take, it needs to have a new source. So to be born anothen is to have a new beginning, so be born again, but also have a new source to be born above. And that, that's so cool. <laughs> the Bible is cool. It's weird, but it's cool. All right. So let's see what, what does Nicodemus say to that. So Nicodemus, uh, verse 4 says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a person be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? So maybe you thought, you know, if, you've, if, you, if you're familiar with the story, uh, you, maybe you thought Nicodemus is a, being a bit dense, or maybe he's just slow on the uptake. You know, like, obviously, Jesus doesn't mean literally being born again. And that's, again, that's how I kind of always took that. That's how it was taught to me that Nicodemus is just being dumb. But let's remember that he is, again, part of the elite. He's part of the sect of the Pharisees. So he's sharp. He probably, he probably catches on to what Jesus is talking about. And think, you can think about how insulting that could be. So, so imagine yourself in Nicodemus' shoes, if you can, harder for some than others. But let's say that you've dedicated your whole life, like pretty much your whole life, to, to God, to understanding the Bible. You memorize the scripture. You've got the moral code down. You go to church. You pray. You tithe. Everything. You've got it set. And not only that, you're part of a privileged class. You've got money. Seems like God's blessing you, right? Everything is going really well. And then this upstart teacher that just started out comes to you and says, you know what? You've got to scrap all of that. Start over. 
Everything you think you know about God is wrong. In fact, you're not even really following God at all. I mean, how insulting do you think that would be? So you could take his response, this uh, question that he says, as sarcastic or dismissive. He's like, young man, I came to play ball. Yeah, I have to be born again. Yeah, whatever. What is this nonsense? What is, what is this nonsense you're talking about? Or, or maybe Nicodemus doesn't really get it, right? I could be reading uh, too much into this, but it's, but it's interesting to think about. It could be that Nicodemus is too rigid in his thinking that God works this way, and then Jesus is throwing in this new idea, and that just doesn't make any sense. But either way, either way you, that you want to look at it, Nicodemus is not picking up what Jesus is putting down. So Jesus puts it another way. And kind of sidestepping that question, it's like, well, that's a ridiculous question. I'm not going to answer that. But let's, let me try to explain it in a different way. Uh, verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Before it was seed, now it's enter. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Right. So this, growing up, this is where Jesus would lose me. Does anybody else get a little confused? Okay, so it's just me. You guys are, oh, you guys are on the ball. I mean, what is he talking about? Why is he talking about spirit and water? I mean, it's, do, you guys ever, do you guys ever read the Bible and you wonder why are they so vague? Am I the only one that's doing that? Okay, we got one more person. All right, the rest of you guys can explain it to me. But I'm like, why, is, why can't they just say it in plain language? I mean, it feels like, like we're coming to the Bible, and you're trying to figure out what to do, and, and the Bible, like Jesus and the authors, like this old man at the bridge going, ah, you can cross the bridge, but you have to answer these three riddles first. <laughs> right? So that's what, I, that's what I feel like sometimes. And that's when we need to kind of take a step back. We need to try to step out of our own time and culture and remember that this was written thousands of years ago in another language and another culture. Because if you actually look at this and you, and you listen to some of the, the Bible scholars who have studied this, really smart people, Jesus is actually speaking very plainly, just not in the way that we would expect. He's communicating, like, not in just plain words, but in, in like, uh, this other way, and that's... That's a way that we can communicate too, actually. We don't always communicate like exactly what we want to say. Um, let me try to explain. So Chrissy and I, Chrissy's my wife, for those of you who don't know, uh, we've been married for a little over 15 years now. It's actually 16. It'll be 16 in July. And we've been living together most of that time. There was a period that we had some immigration issues and we had to live apart for a while. And there's actually a funny story in there that I don't have time for, but see me after or ask Chrissy. Maybe she'll tell you. But, okay, so we lived together a long time. We know each other very well. So in that time, we can, we've gotten to know each other and we can often communicate in ways that nobody else would understand, right? You say, I could say a word or a phrase and communicate a whole set of ideas that everyone would just be like, I don't know what they're saying. And you guys probably have people like this in your lives. Hopefully your spouse you can understand a little bit. Um, Or other family members that you're close to, maybe a really close friend. Oh, side note, uh, I have a best friend that I've had since first grade, and he lives in another state now. But every time we talk to each other, we always have the same greeting that we've had since, like, since we were kids. And it's this combo of uh, Star Wars and Seinfeld, which I bet you didn't know you could match those two together, but you can So, 
So that's one way that you can, you can have this indirect communication is with someone that you know really well, you can find out like these little shortcuts and references that only you guys get. Another way to have that indirect, indirect communication sorry, is uh, if you have common interests or passions, uh, current events. We do this all the time with pop culture, right? Like references to movies and uh, books and stories and things like that. So if I were to say, Luke, I am your father, you, get, you guys know who I'm talking about, right? Maybe the char- I don't even have to say the voice, right? The character comes to mind, the whole scene and emotions. Some of you maybe don't get it, but most of you, I hope, do get it. Um, and for those Star Wars nerds out there, I know he doesn't say, Luke, I'm your father. The exact lines are, no, I am your father. So let me just clear that up so we're not freaking out. That's happened to me before. Someone makes a reference, and it's not the exact line, and it just sticks in your head. So, so that's... So Jesus and, um, sorry, let me try to get back to what we're talking about here, the Bible. So Jesus and Nicodemus obviously don't have that that long-term relationship. They haven't grown up together as far as the scriptures say. So they don't have that personal history. But they do have a shared interest, which is the scriptures. They both have a passion for it. They both have it memorized, meditated on, countless hours, right? So when Jesus equates being born again, being born again, onothen, with being born of water and spirit, that's actually right up Nicodemus's alley. Because Jesus is referencing at least two different prophets here. Uh, the first one's going to be in Isaiah chapter 44, at ver- uh, starting with verse 3. This is Yahweh speaking to Israel. And in the book of Isaiah, he says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and, the stream- and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants, and they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. So in this uh, part of Isaiah, it's God's talking to this faithful remnant that are going to come back, they're going to turn to God, and he equates this idea of them coming to him by pouring water on dry ground and God pouring his spirit on his people. Uh, The second one is actually the, the scripture reading we had uh, this morning from Matt, it's in Ezekiel, uh, starting at chapter 36, and I think I have time to read it, so I'm going to read it. Uh, read it again, uh, starting at verse 24. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands, and I will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone and your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and bring it about that you walk in my statutes and that are careful and follow my ordinances. And you will live in the land that I give to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. So again, we have this picture of spirit and water. But Ezekiel takes it to this new level. The problem with Israel isn't just that they need to be watered like they're, they're a dry and thirsty uh, ground. They need to be washed clean. And they not only need to be washed clean, but they need new hearts. Their stone hearts to be taken out and they're given nice fleshy hearts that will, that will actually work. How can this be done? God places a new spirit, his spirit, inside them. So how, how cool is that? I mean, with just a few sentences, Jesus is hyperlinking back to the Old Testament 
at least two different prophets and explaining further what it means, all these ideas, and all, and like, I don't know, I get excited about that kind of stuff. I think it's really cool. All right, moving on to verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from and where it is going. So everyone who has, so is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Uh, if, in case you want to uh, impress your friends with some fun Bible facts, uh, the Greek and Hebrew words uh, for wind both mean spirit as well. So there you go. You can impress your friends the next time you get together. Uh, this, is, this is actually a rather beautiful picture of the spirit working because when you think about it, we all get born again differently. At different times in our lives, some really early on, some later on, but there's a mystery to how it works. It's not, a, it's not always a clear cut, this is exactly how, how the Spirit works. You know, God can't be contained. He can't be measured and expected to work in this way and only this way. And that's the, I think that's the picture that Jesus is, is painting here with this verse of the, of the wind blowing through. All right, let's see how Nicodemus is doing at this point. So in verse 9, Nicodemus responded to him and said, How can these things be? What? Like... Poor Nicodemus. He's just really, he seems really lost here. I don't know if he's still trying to like do that play for power we talked about earlier, but he just seems like, I, what? He doesn't get it. And Jesus kind of gets in his face a little bit. In the next verse, verse 10, Jesus says, Jesus answered to him and said, you are a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you people do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And again, I feel sorry for Nicodemus. This is supposed to be simple, but we just talked about it. It should be. Those, those are things that Nicodemus should have gotten. It's like he's saying, come on, Nick. I'm doing my best here. I'm trying to meet you where you're at. This is Prophets 101. And again, he's like, you're a teacher. You know the scriptures. You should get this. Ooh, that's, a, that's kind of a hyperlink to James, but I don't have time to get into that. But anyway, uh, you're a teacher. You should get this. And he doesn't say here. He doesn't say here. This is a fun little thing. Uh, but it's similar to other times. If you, if you kind of go through the Gospels, you'll notice every so often Jesus, when he confronts the teachers of the law, he confronts the Pharisees. He's like, guys, have you read your Bibles? He's saying that to the Bible scholars. Have you read your Bibles? I know. I find that funny. It's just like, Jesus, he's so... You can get in your face sometimes, man. All right, so in verse 11, Jesus seems to be mirroring Nicodemus' opening words, right? When he says, we speak of what we know. And Nicodemus is like, we know. And so uh, most biblical scholars agree that Jesus is likely referencing the Trinity at this point, you know, where he says, I and the Father are one. We are talking simply here. And if you can't accept this, how are you going to believe heavenly things? All right. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. Uh, Son of Man, that's a reference to Daniel, which is a whole other thing I don't have time for, but it's a really awesome hyperlink. And another little fun fact is that the, the phrase Son of Man is what Jesus uses most to refer to himself. 
A lot of other people in the Gospels will call Jesus the Messiah and Son of God and other things, but most of the time, Jesus will refer to him as Son of Man. So just go home and read Daniel. It's, then, you'll, then you'll have it all figured out. It's awesome. But So in addition to referencing Daniel in this part, some believe that Jesus is also kind of answering a little riddle from Proverbs 30. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 4. Okay, I still have some time. I can read this part too. Awesome. Okay, so 30, verse 4, it says, Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in his garments? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? Or his son's name? Surely you know. That's just a neat little thing. Like, what is his name? What is his son's name? And so, so well, there are some biblical scholars who think that he's kind of referencing that as well. So we have, we have him referencing Daniel. We have him re- referencing Proverbs, probably. But we definitely have a story from the book of Numbers. Uh, does anybody know the story of the bronze snake that he's referring to? It's such a weird story. Okay, I'll try to be brief in summarizing this one. So Moses and the Israelites, uh, at this point, they're in the wilderness. This is after Mount Sinai. And the Israelites are rebelling again. There's actually, there's actually seven different times that are, that, are, that are told in this story, and this is the seventh time that the Israelites have rebelled. So, so these snakes, these vipers, come into the camp and start biting people, and people are getting sick, and people are dying. And so they cry out, and Moses intercedes for them, and God tells him to get some bronze, make a bronze snake, put it on this pole, and stick it up, so that everybody who looks at it and believes will be healed. The Bible's so bizarre sometimes. Like, what is that all about? It's only four verses long. It just comes, it feels like it comes out of nowhere, but it probably doesn't. I just haven't uh, gotten to that point yet. But it has to, so the story, as weird as it can be, it has to do with people, the Israelites being infected with this, this sickness. You know, they're, they're getting sick and they're dying. And it's, because it's connected to their own sin and rebellion. So it's their own fault that they're in this situation. But what is killing them, the snake, gets transformed into a source of life. And they just look at it and trust in God, and they can be saved. So this is probably why Jesus is referencing this story to refer to himself. Not that Jesus is the source of sickness and death, obviously, but Jesus, God, became human. Right, fully God and fully man. That's what we believe. He became human, and humans are kind of the we're kind of the problem here on Earth. Right, we're the ones that started it all. And so, being fully God and being fully man, he is able to be that new source of life. He goes through that transformation, and he is. And when is he lifted up? When is he literally lifted up? Can anybody guess? Crucified. Yes, the cross. Jesus is referencing the cross here. Those that wish to be healed. And have life must look to Christ crucified and believe. And you can also see God's love in this story, oddly enough. And I think that's probably what Jesus is also uh, kind of pulling from that. See, God hears his people suffering. They cry out. This is the seventh time, at least in this round of stories, that they've rebelled. And even though it's because of their own rebellion and their own sin, he responds with a way out. He responds with love. And speaking of which, you guys have probably been waiting for this one, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. So, 
Everybody probably knows uh, verse 16. Uh, Even if you grew up outside the church, you've probably heard the reference. If you grew up in the church, you probably have it memorized. And it's a great verse to memorize. I mean, it it gives you that bottom line. This This is the gospel, right? God sent his son because he loved us. But do, we, do you remember the context of that, of that verse? I, I often forget that it's in this conversation. And I, I put 17 right next to it to say it together because a couple reasons. My dad always does that. My dad, who's a pastor over at Salvadoran Community Church, I've mentioned him a few times. Whenever he says verse 16, he adds verse 17. Because again, 16 does give you that bottom line of the gospel. It's a great verse to memorize. And actually, side note, that's what the kids are memorizing right now in our Grace Kids. They're memorizing 16 and 17 because when you put those two in context, you get that fuller picture of the gospel. And then when you put that in the context of the conversation, in the context of the book, in the context of the Bible, like that's where you, that's where you get it all, right? So here Jesus drives home the why of why he came, why Nicodemus can start over can start with that new source of life. Why? Love. Love saves the world. Jesus came because he loves the world, the whole world, you and me. We sometimes get used to that idea. Of course God loves me. That's his job. He's supposed to love me. I mean, why wouldn't he? Uh, But really, really think about that for a second. We've done nothing to deserve that love. In fact, we are often in open rebellion against God. And he still loves us. We want to choose our own good and bad. We don't want to submit to God's definition of that. Every once in a while, I kind of get slapped in the face with the fact that God loves me. Does that happen to anybody else? Just out of nowhere. You hear the verse maybe in a different translation, or you see an example of it somewhere else, and just stops you, and you remember, oh yeah, God loves me, even now. Um, an example that's fairly recent, uh, we just had a holiday a few weeks ago. You guys probably remember it. I think it was only, was it only three weeks. Was it only three weeks ago? Yikes. I know a lot of you, or some people, like to just, as soon as Christmas is over, done. We're done. Move on. But if you'll permit me to go back just, a little, just for a minute. So Christmas. We just had Christmas. And many times, what do we watch during Christmas time? We watch Christmas movies. Charlie Brown. I heard Charlie Brown. I, we, we love that at our house. We, ha- we all have our own favorite Christmas movies. And maybe afterwards we can all talk about them just for the fun of it. But one of the movies that are specials that we like at our house is The Grinch. Does everybody know? Everybody kind of know what The Grinch is? Good. So we love that old 70s cartoon. We have that, and so we'll watch that. But there's also been a few remakes in recent years. I'm going to just summarize real quick the story, just in case, for some reason, you're living under a rock and you just came to church today and you have no idea what I'm talking about. But So the Grinch uh, is a character in the story. He's grumpy, doesn't like Christmas, lives up in a cave in a mountain. And the characters of the Who's down in Whoville, they love Christmas, it's a big deal. So the Grinch decides to take all their Christmas stuff to keep Christmas from coming. That's like his big, his big plan. So he takes all his stuff, but it doesn't stop. It still comes. And he learns that Christmas is more about, it's not, it's not just about stuff. There's something more to Christmas. And he brings it back. His heart grows big, and they all live happily ever after. That's, that's the basic plot of it. So it's a great story, right? Um, 
there's been a recent remake. Uh, it's a computer animated movie back in 2019, and it's just called The Grinch. And they make it longer. It's a longer movie, so they have a little bit more story filler. And I'm going to kind of just spoil the ending a little bit, if you haven't seen it yet, sorry. But uh, So in this version, he still steals everything, and when he brings it back, the Grinch like says he's sorry, but then goes back to his cave right away. Because while he saw that he was in the wrong for doing all this stuff, he still kind of went back to his old way of doing things, of being alone and being in the cave. Well, he's got his dog with him, but he's mostly alone. So then a little girl comes, little Cindy Lou Who, uh, comes to his door and invites him to Christmas dinner. And he's, he's shocked. He says, but I stole all your stuff. And she's like, yep, and I wrecked your Christmas. I know, but we're inviting you anyway. And he says, why? Because you've been alone long enough. Sorry. It just, smack. God loves you. And that's not necessarily what the writers were doing, but that's what I think of. God came to earth as a human being, even though we've wrecked the place, we've wrecked our relationships, and we want nothing to do with him. And he came to our dank, miserable little cave and invited us to leave it all behind. Come to dinner. Come join his family. Be born Anothen, because he loves us. And we've been alone long enough. Okay. Ah, sorry. All right. Um, still got a few more verses here. <laughs> uh, I'm running a little bit long, and I'm and not so much long on time, but I've said a lot of ideas for you. So I'm going to kind of summarize this last bit here uh, rather quickly, because uh, I do want, I want to finish the conversation. So we're going to go to verse 18. The one who believes in him, again, to the Son of Man, to Jesus, is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light came into the world and the people loved darkness rather than light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices truth comes to the light, so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed in God. And that's the end. Don't know what happens afterwards with Nicodemus. Like I say, he's referenced again at the end. But that's the end of the conversation. And you can see some links even to like the, the, the same book because of light and darkness. And there's the poem at the beginning of John. Uh, the word made flesh and the world, and light came into the world. And uh, just looking at this now, an interesting thing I'm, I'm just seeing right now actually, this idea that this is the judgment when we talk about judging people or God judging people, the judgment is what? That they love darkness, that they wanted to stay in that little cave. They don't want anything to do with God. Uh, More here that I don't have time to do this part justice. So I would ask for you guys uh, throughout this week to to maybe read this this passage. Um, And the whole conversation really would be great. Make yourself a cup of tea or, or coffee and read through this and see what the Spirit is speaking to you. Because, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is actually written in a, in a form that's called meditative literature or meditation literature. It's meant to be read, read over and over and over. It's meant to be thought about. You go for a walk if it's not pouring down rain, which it is right now. But 
to think about it and struggle with it. And then you'll see things that pop up that you didn't see. Even though you read that same passage for years, all of a sudden things will start to, to come out. And it's, it's pretty amazing. All right. Again, I've given you guys a lot to think about. And, and hopefully I've, I've, been, I've been clear. That's, that's one of my main goals being up here. I'm going to try to land the plane here. I've got a couple of, of things I'd like to leave you guys with, a couple of points that I believe that God is telling me that I would like to emphasize. And the first one, this one's a little bit of a bonus one. This isn't specific to this passage, but the first one is to, I want you guys to read your Bible. And I want you to read all of it, like Old Testament and New Testament. And that's, that's a lot to ask, I know. Um, but you can see from this passage alone, and I didn't even get all of it, but there are so many different links from the New Testament to the Old. And we like to sometimes, in our church culture, separate. This is the Old Testament, that's that, the New Testament is this. But it's all connected. And I shared some of the um, resources that I use. And there's resources that you guys can use. You guys don't have to read the Bible on your own. We, you can have a uh, Bible study, but there are also like commentaries. There's podcasts, there's sermons, and there's audiobooks that you can listen to. If you don't like reading, that's fine. There's, just, there's a lot of resources that you guys can access to help you um, get a further understanding. And you will find your understanding growing. You'll find your faith growing. You know, And it's okay to not... Find the answer right away. I don't have all the answers, but it's still good to ask the questions. And scripture, I just heard this recently, is, is like this, is this place that we can come to and wrestle with those really hard questions that we don't know. We don't know, but we can come here and we can discuss it and we can talk about it. So, so that's my bonus one, is to read your Bibles. And that's what I'm trying to do, and I don't always succeed. But second one, this is sort of the main point, and I can have the uh, worship team come up and I will... I'll finish off with this main point. So listen while you're walking up here because this is important as you come up. So being born again, being born anothen, is not a call to be religious. It's not a call to adopt a moral, a narrow moral black and white calling. Those things can come. We just had a whole series last year on the commands of Christ. I'm not saying ignore that, but that's not what this word means. Jesus is amazing, and he does have a lot of teachings and commands, but he is more than a teacher. He's more than that. You can't just add Jesus to your already okay life. Like, I'm doing all right. I'll just add a few of these Jesus commands. That'll be fine. You can't just see him as a good teacher. He is the son of man, the son of God. He came to save us, to invite us out of our dank little cave, to be born into a new family, to come to dinner, to find joy and forgiveness, new life and acceptance, because he loves us. And we've been alone long enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything, for your word, for the testimony of these witnesses that we can and we can know you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you that we don't have to keep going on our own, defining good and evil our own way, but that we can come to you. Lord, help us as we go out to be doers of the word and not just those who hear. In Jesus' name.